Well, turn, if you would, in your Bibles to the passage that Kim read for us earlier, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, if you would turn there. And if you'd like to follow along in the Bible that's provided there, uh, you can turn to page 855, 855 of the Bible that's provided in a seat near you. It's wonderful to sing these Christmas carols. Uh, some of us have been singing them for a while, <laughs> and uh, they are like ever new, aren't they? And like this beautiful one we just sung, the first Noel. And uh, how many of you just, in general, like the songs of Christmas? It is wonderful to sing the songs of Christmas, and I enjoy almost all of them. Uh, I worked a few years in retail. That was a trial of anyone's faith that has to listen to those songs over and over and then deal with all the folks full of comfort and joy. <laughs> but I was uh, out and I heard a, a song that I thought that uh, I didn't quite agree with the sentiment of Christmas. So I thought I would uh, just print the lyrics, and share it with you. <laughs> I don't know if I quite understand the theme. A red-suited Superman. Here's this great Christmas carol. Oh yeah, listen, the tree's ready, and the stockings are all hung. The fire's blazing, and the carols are all sung. Everybody's waiting for a miracle, so Santa, bring us joy. It's the season to leave our troubles behind. How amazing if the world was giving and kind. It might be crazy. It might take a miracle. Santa, bring some peace to all of us. If anyone can do it, it's Santa who can. He's a red suited superman he knows everybody got a list with all our names and he rocks the whole world in an old-fashioned sleigh come over here baby let's watch the snowfall check out the north star did it start it all it's still shining like some miracle so santa brings some hope to us all bring us some hope santa He's a red-suited superman, and he rocks the whole world in an old-fashioned sleigh. I look around me, what else could I need? All my friends and family, so I gotta believe. Life is a blessing for every boy and girl, so Santa brings some love to us all. I said, Santa, bring some love to us all. I mean, Santa, I said, Santa, bring love to us all. Yeah, not really asking much, just a little piece of love on this earth. I know, I know, I know, Santa, Santa, I believe in Santa. Oh, yes, I do. Oh, yes, I do. Well, there you have it, the source of joy, peace, hope, and love. A red-suited Superman. That's the gospel according to Rod Stewart, okay? <laughs> I think I like the gospel according to Luke a little better. How about you? So let's just, let's turn there. And uh, I do, we pray. I, when Rod Stewart comes to know the Lord, his carols will change just a little bit. I'll guarantee you that. But... I want you to turn to Luke because Luke is the gospel of Christmas carols. Did you know that? It really is the gospel of Christmas carols. There are five of them. Five of them. Five songs about the Advent. Five songs of Christmas that are recorded in the scripture. And we're going to be looking at those five songs over the next few times that we meet here this morning, next Sunday morning, Christmas Eve service. Five songs about Christmas. There's the song of Elizabeth. There's the song of Mary. There's the song of Zacharias. There's the song of the angels. 
And then there's the song of old Simeon who took the baby Jesus in his arms in the temple and blessed him. And Luke records all of those songs. Now we know Luke was a historian, but who also knew he was in producing of songs as well. He's interviewing people to the point that he's even asking them the details of what happened as their lives were involved in this incredible event of the coming of Christ. And he was told even the songs that the Lord gave his servants to announce the birth of the Christ child and the coming of the Christ child. So this morning, as we're continuing our journey through the Gospel of Luke, I want us to notice two songs. A song that two ladies sing to each other, given to them by God, the song of Elizabeth and the song of Mary. These two who have been chosen by God. And that's how I'd like us to look at this passage this morning and think about this message. It's about the praise of the chosen ones. And you're going to see that the praise that erupted out of the heart of Elizabeth and also out of the heart of the Virgin Mary were not just recorded so that we could know the songs, but that we could enter into them by faith and we could also in some way claim them as our own. Now the context here, when we open chapter 1, we're going to begin at verse 39. The context is that Zechariah, the old priest, has been given a message by Gabriel that he and his wife, Elizabeth, are going to have a child. And Zechariah does not believe it. He is filled with doubt, and he expresses his doubt. And that's the last thing he said for several months because he became mute until the child would be born. And now his wife is expecting with the, their son. She's about six months in to her pregnancy. And the other part of the context is Gabriel was sent to a teenage girl in Nazareth to tell her that by the miraculous work of God, she, a virgin, would give birth to the one who would be the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And she believes in awestruck wonder that what has been promised will be done. And very soon after she is given notice by Gabriel, that her relative, perhaps her aunt, Elizabeth, is expecting, and in her sixth month, Mary leaves from Nazareth in Galilee and makes a journey that's going to take her maybe five or six days all the way down to a village just outside of Jerusalem. And there she comes and meets her aunt, Elizabeth, and greets her, and when Mary greets Elizabeth, that's when the song festival begins. The songs start being sung. And all these songs have one main theme. They have the theme of joy. They are joy-filled songs of praise. I want us to look at these songs this morning. Make them part of our Christmas celebration Help you a lot more than a red-suited Santa. I'll guarantee you that. The joy of Elizabeth. Notice the joy of Elizabeth as she breaks out in song. Verse number 41 tells us, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 42 and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she, meaning Mary, who believed that there should be a fulfillment 
of what has been spoken to her from the Lord. Now notice this elderly lady. She is six months pregnant. And as she is greeted by Mary, the mother of Jesus, she breaks out in song because she is filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice that verse 41 says she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so she began to sing. And it was not a quiet, dignified little song that says she uttered a song with a loud cry. Verse 42 says, it was with a loud cry that she began to praise the Lord. And she has one word that captures the theme of her song. Did you see the word three times? Blessed, blessed, blessed. Verse 42, and she acclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then verse 45, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what the Lord has spoken to her from the Lord. I think Elizabeth was blessed. How about you? She's just encouraged so much. And the Holy Spirit has touched the heartstrings of her very soul. And she is pronouncing blessing upon blessing upon blessing. You could just say literally and with all dignity, this passage we're going to look at is just pregnant with joy. It is filled with the joy of the Lord. And she's expressing the joy of God's blessing on her. She considers herself blessed. She is a blessed woman. She knows that. When she was way beyond childbearing years and had given up hope, God has blessed her with the honor of being a mother and with the honor of being the mother of a special son. The one that is within her who is going to be born will be the forerunner of the Messiah. He will prepare the way of the Lord. He will turn people's hearts to the Lord so they're ready to receive the Messiah when he comes. She's blessed. But she says even greater than that blessing, notice, is the honor she has of receiving the mother of the Son of God. Verse 43, listen to Mary's song. It's a song. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She calls Mary the mother of my Lord. The mother of my Lord. Friend, note that. That is the first time any human being has referred to Jesus as the divine one, the son of God. The mother of my Lord, when she says Lord, as a faithful Jewish woman, she is talking about one person. She's talking about the Lord of her life, the Lord of her people, the Lord of Israel, the Lord of creation, the Lord of glory. She's talking about God of heaven. And she says, what is this that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now, notice very carefully, Elizabeth does not pray to Mary. She does not get on her knees and pray to Mary. But she praises the glory of God and the grace of God in her life that she is the mother of the Lord. She does not refer to her or pray to her as Mary, the mother of God. But she says that she is the mother of my Lord, the Son of God. Elizabeth is just exulting in her spirit, exulting in this joy-filled blessing of God on her. But keep listening to her song. She's not finished. Listen to her sing, and as she sings, she's not just singing with her, about her own joy, but she's singing with joy for the blessing on Mary. Not just the blessing on her. But the blessing on Mary, verse 45, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now notice, blessed is she who believed. Blessed is she who believed. Now let's ask the question, 
What does it mean to be blessed by God? What does it mean to be blessed by God? Well, you listen to a lot of teachers and preachers today. You think the blessing of God is measured in dollar signs. But my friend, it is not. It is measured in the riches that are beyond this world's compare. Friend, I'll tell you what riches really are. Real riches are these. What money can't buy and what death cannot take away. Now that's treasure. Whatever you have that money cannot buy and death cannot take from you, that is your net worth. And don't ever forget that. What do you have in your life right now that you would take no money for? And what do you have in your life that death will not be able to take from you? My friend, that's treasure. That's treasure indeed. She's saying she's blessed. Mary, you are blessed by God. It's her chorus. You are blessed. Why is she blessed? Because she's been graced by the Father. She does not deserve this blessing. You see, when you say, I am blessed, that's a word of unmerited favor. None of us deserve the blessing of God. The reality, the Bible says that we are all sinners by nature and we are rebel sinners in our spirit and our actions. And what we deserve from God is not blessing, but cursing. But this great God sent his son to become a curse on the cross that from his cross and from that empty tomb could flow the blessing to the nations. That is the blessing. It's the graced life. He, she is graced by the Father. You are blessed, Mary. And she's been graced by the Father and also graced with faith. Notice what Elizabeth says. You have believed. You're blessed because you have believed what there, that there would be a fulfillment of what the Lord has spoken. She has been enabled to believe. She has been enabled by the grace of God to believe and to receive as her own the promise that God has made. My friend, that's what faith is. Faith is when God in his mercy so moves upon your life that what he promises to you in Jesus Christ, you receive as your very own and know they are yours. That is faith. That is faith. Hebrews chapter 1, chapter 11, verse 1 rather says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. Friends, listen. Faith deals in the realm of the invisible. But though it deals in the realm of the invisible, listen carefully, church, it deals in the realm of the actual. Because what is actual is what is invisible because it's internal, eternal, right? It's not the visible things that are eternal. It's the invisible things that are eternal. Someone says, well, you got to live a life in this world. you got to live a life in this world. Friends, yes, we live in this world, but we're not to live of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven from whence we look for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our heavenly home is the new Jerusalem. And we are citizens of that kingdom. And friend, that is what we live for. We live by faith in that which we cannot see. You've not seen the Lord Jesus. Not one of you has seen the Lord Jesus. But many of you here, I trust most of you here, by God's grace, having not seen him, yet by God's grace, you have believed and you love him. And he is your own. Do you know that today? Do you know that today? There's no greater vision than the vision of faith. To see yourself as a sinner, helpless and condemned before a holy God. And to see Jesus Christ as an all-sufficient substitute and sacrifice who died for you. To see him high and lifted up in your place. That is where vision begins, my friend. That's when you really see May God open blinded eyes today. Oh, Lord God, make it true today. Elizabeth is filled with joy for what God has done in Mary's soul. Do you see this? Yes, she praises God for the miracle in her body. 
But she praises God for the miracle that God has done in, a, in Mary's soul. And friends, how we ought to put that emphasis there and recognize that the greatest of all miracles are not the healings that happen to the body. Though, thank God, that happens. But the greatest of all miracles is the healing of our sin-sick soul through Jesus Christ. By His stripes, we are what? Healed. The greatest of all healings. And she rejoices in what God's done in, her, in Mary's soul. For the gift of grace that she's received. She's blessed. And she's been blessed to believe what the Lord has said. Now the extent of God's gifts to Mary that Elizabeth is extolling are just beyond understanding. Friends, I tell you this morning, I gladly tell you, I don't understand a lot of what I'm preaching to you this morning. And you might be saying, well, what's new about that? We hear that all the time. I understand. But I never saw this until yesterday. Yesterday morning, we were having an elders meeting. And as we do so often, we read the passage together that's going to be preached on the next Sunday. And we were reading this passage together, the 13 of us, actually 12 there yesterday. We read this passage, and I saw something I'd never seen before in what... Elizabeth was praising God about. She said this in verse 43. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Notice that the mother of my Lord. Now drop down to verse 45. And blessed is she who believed what that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Connect those two. Connect those two. It's astounding. The mother of my Lord has come to me. And she has been blessed that she received and what had been spoken by from the Lord. You understand what this is saying? That not only was Mary enabled to receive the message of the Lord, she was also enabled by God's miraculous grace to be the mother of the Lord. She is carrying in her womb the one who made the promise that Gabriel came to give. The one who sent Gabriel to her to promise her that she would be the mother of the Messiah. It is that very one, the Lord of glory, that's in her womb now. What a God we serve. How awesome are his paths. How unfathomable is his wisdom. What a God we serve. But friends, I want to tell you, the next time you hear beautifully sung, Mary, did you know? The answer is, yes. <laughs> she knew. <laughs> she knew a lot. Did she understand it all? Of course not. But she knew in her heart that what had been said was true. How Elizabeth rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. She's rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. But there's another spirit. Notice this. There's another spirit in her that's also rejoicing. It's the spirit-filled joy of her unborn son. Because you have here not just the joy of Elizabeth, you have shared with us the joy of the baby John who is within his mother. Verse 41, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. Notice, if you would, down in verse 44, she says, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now, this is beautiful. This is astounding and beautiful. When Elizabeth hears the greeting of Mary, the baby in her womb, not yet born and not yet fully developed, six months in development, 
when the sound of the voice of Mary came to Elizabeth, John, the unborn child, leaped for joy. He was filled from the, with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, from his mother's womb. Do you get the scene here, church? You have three people filled with joy. You have an elderly expecting mother filled with joy. You have her unborn son filled with joy. And you have a teenage virgin filled with joy. Why are the three of them rejoicing? The three of them are rejoicing over the fourth one who's there. That is the Son of God in the womb of Mary. That's the reason they're rejoicing. They're rejoicing over the presence of the Son of God, the gift from on high. The Son of God is forming in the Virgin Mary's womb. And Elizabeth says, blessed is the fruit of your womb. And John in his mother's womb jumps for joy. Imagine him saying, amen, ma, amen. <laughs> Leaping for joy. Now this is astounding, folks. Think of it. They are all rejoicing over the gift of God's son. It's astounding the herald angels are not going to sing for months yet in Bethlehem's night sky. But here, the unborn herald, the unborn herald is already jumping for joy at the presence of the unborn king. What a scene this is. What an amazing, unimaginable moment this is. When the herald of the king, who's not even yet born, and the king's not born, is jumping for joy at the presence of his master. Friends, that would be the joyful attitude of John all his life. Over 30 years later, when people kept asking him, are you the Christ? Are you the Christ? Are you the Christ? Here's what John said. 30 years after this, John answered, John 3, 27, John answered, a person can receive even not even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him. What? Rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is full. Do you know what the life's focus? Do you know what the life's purpose of a man filled with joy was all about why was he filled with joy because here was the testimony of his life verse 30 he must increase but i must decrease friend that's where joy is when you go up jesus goes down and no one can rejoice in the holy spirit when it's much of me and little of jesus but when jesus goes up and you go down, then you're like the donkey on which Jesus sat when he came into Jerusalem. Your ears are up and you rejoice to hear the children say, Hosanna to the highest. Praise to the son of David. Let Jesus Christ be lifted up. Friend, that's where joy is. You don't find joy in asserting yourself. You don't find joy in working for it. You don't find joy in earning it. You find joy in saying, oh, Jesus Christ, in my life, increase and let me decrease. Amen. People today would say, John needs a therapist. They'd say, you evidently, as a result of having elderly parents, and a, and, a, and a traumatic delivery. You, you need therapy. Friends, he didn't need therapy. 
He was the chosen one who knew the path of joy. And the path of joy had always been Jesus first. He must increase. I must decrease. Oh, friend, I'm telling you here today, there's some people here. You're miserable. I know you're in church and you look pretty good. You look marvelous, really marvelous. <laughs> but some of you, even though you look marvelous, you're miserable. Because it's so much about you and so little about Jesus. And that's never going to change until it's me down and Jesus up. John the Baptist rejoices. He's not born yet. He's rejoicing. Mary, Elizabeth, his mother, is rejoicing. But oh, how deep and how unique is the joy of Mary. Beginning in verse 46, she sings this song. It's a song. It runs all the way down through verse 55. This beautiful song that Kim read for us earlier. It's a song. It's a hymn of praise to God. It has an ancient title from ancient times. It's been called by the Latin word, the Magnificat. The Magnificat. Why? Because that's the word that comes out of Mary's mouth after the greeting from Elizabeth. She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, verse 46, my soul, what? Magnifies the Lord. It's an ode of joy. My soul magnifies the Lord. And she sings this song. And friends, she's just a teenager. But her mind has been filled with the scripture. She begins to quote scripture. She quotes from the song of Hannah. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, when Hannah was blessed by the child, the son Samuel, she had prayed for for so long, she burst forth in the temple in singing. And that song was written down, and Mary had memorized it, and she's singing Hannah's song. But she's also weaving in some of the songs of David. You see how important it is, young people, to know the word of God in your youth? You know, see how important it is, parents, to make sure that your children are taught the things of God and they learn the word of God like they do here in Sunday school and in our WANA program. It's in their very mind and soul. And its greatest use is to praise their Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. It's a theme of joy for God's grace. Grace. God's a hero here in these songs. He's the hero she sings of God's grace for her. She's exulting in him. Notice she, she praises God for his salvation. Do you hear this? The Virgin Mary praises God that she is a saved sinner. Verse 47. My spirit rejoices in God, my what? Savior. My spirit rejoices in the one who has saved me. And he has chosen me in his grace for incredible things. Verse 48. For he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. She calls herself a servant, a bond servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Is she proud about this? No, she's not proud about it. She's amazed by it. All the glory and honor goes to God who has chosen her for this. She exalts in him for his salvation that he has selected her. And she exalts him. She doesn't exalt herself. Mary never lifts herself up. Who does she exalt? Look at verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary could not even conceive the idea that people would put her even close to God Almighty. She couldn't imagine the thought that people 
would worship her. It would be an abomination to her. Because she knew she was a sinner. Saved by God's grace. Who God had selected her for incredible blessing. And the joy that was hers. That she would be called blessed for generations. And she is the blessed virgin. But the blessing is not the blessing that was in her. It's the blessing that was given to her as a gift of grace. It's true of Mary. What was true of the Apostle Paul. And it's also true of every person who's used of the Lord. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Why do you boast as if you did something was it not given to you? And if it was given to you as a gift, then why should you boast? He that glories, let him glory where? In the Lord. That's what Mary did. She sung, sung of God's grace. God's grace for her. But guess what? She wasn't selfish. She sung of God's grace for the world. God's grace that was going to turn the world upside down through her son, or maybe better to say right side up, right? Listen to her sing of the blessing of God's grace to the world. Verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. To this very day, the mercy of God is for anyone who fears him. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. And he has exalted those of humble estate. The people who have blessed this world beyond all imagination. The people who have truly changed this world now and forever have been the people of God by his grace. He has filled the hungry with good things and those, the rich, not that they're evil because they're rich, but because they trust in their riches. He has swept them away. <laughs> hey, it's just as true as the song we sing here sometimes. A baby changes everything, right? <laughs> oh, he turned everything upside down, right side up in his kingdom. You know what struck me this week as I was looking at this song? Mary is singing this song with the tiny, tiny baby Jesus in her womb. Maybe she is a month along in her pregnancy. And she's singing. And she is singing exactly what her son was going to be preaching someday. Because 30 years later, her son was going to begin his preaching ministry. And one of his first sermons would be what? The Sermon on the Mount. And he would begin his sermon with what? The Beatitudes. He says, let me tell you what my kingdom looks like. It looks like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. They mourn for their sins, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, that is the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for what? They shall obtain Mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the sons of God. That is in the very essence of Mary's song. And her son will be preaching it 30 years later. Mary sings of God's grace for her. She sings of God's grace for the world. And then just notice this quickly. She sings of God's grace for her people Israel. Her people Israel. Verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. 
She sings of God's grace for her. She sings of God's grace for the world. And then she sings of God's grace for the people of Israel who are downtrodden, who are abused, who have been scattered, who have been the object of scorn for centuries, but they are still the people of God's choice. And they are blessed because of the promise that God made. He promised Abraham that his blessings would come upon his people. And those blessings would come through whom? The Messiah, the anointed one. So do you see it here? Isn't this amazing? Here you have Mary. She's a teenager. You can see her arms just lifted up. And no doubt she's looking up into the heavens. She's a daughter of Abraham. She's a daughter of Abraham. And she's carrying in her womb the son of David. And the son to be born to her is the king of the Jews. <laughs> what a moment. Mary did not just sing for God's grace. She didn't just have a moment where she sung of God's grace. But she experienced God's grace to sustain her. How much there is in verse 56. And Mary remained with her about three months. She stayed with Elizabeth evidently to write about the time of John's birth. And then she returned home. Not one month pregnant. Now maybe four months. She returned return to her village. Return to the scorn, return to the shame, return to the unbelief, return to probable, undoubtedly, really, divorce from her espoused husband, Joseph. But Mary, by the grace of God, knew that whatever was ahead, God's grace was enough. Mary didn't enjoy the scorn. She didn't enjoy the side glances. And God only knows what went through her heart when she told Joseph and saw the look on his face. But God's grace was enough. God's grace was enough. I might just give you these points to take with you to ponder. Just four of them. Some practical lessons to take today from the praise of the chosen one. There is so much here. Who can understand it? But there are things that we can take with us. Number one. These are the chosen ones, but let me tell you what I see here. The chosen are not frozen. <laughs> the chosen are not frozen in pride. They're not frozen in their greater understanding than other people. No, the chosen are vibrant with zeal for the Lord. Their hearts beat with passion. Friend, I want to tell you, the truth of God's choosing of you is not to inflate your head, but to fill your heart with humble gratitude. Number two, joyful praise is the evidence of God's spirit. Joyful praise is the evidence of the spirit. You look it up. Every time the Bible says a person was filled with the Spirit, they either begin proclaiming a witness or they begin proclaiming a song. But they can't be quiet. <laughs> they, the Spirit won't allow them. It's joyful. It's joyful praise. Joyful praise. Amen. Oh, friend, if, if praise... It, it, 
Is, is your prayer time become just a list of things you ask Jesus to do for you? Have you ever just praised him? How often do you praise him and you don't ask for anything? Oh, he wants you to ask. But what God is seeking more than anything else, Jesus said, is the Lord is seeking worshipers. Amen. Are you a worshiper? Can you talk about anything, any subject you can talk about, but you can't talk about Jesus? You can't talk about God. You need to ask the Lord what that's all about. And say, Lord, I just need you to do something in my heart that I can't contain. I need you to show me Christ and make him so precious to me that talking about him is like breathing. Ask him. Third thing I want you to see. Unborn children are living souls who are precious to God. Unborn children are living souls who are precious to God. The two children in this story, the two children in this song fest are not yet born. But they are God. They are made in his image. They are his souls. The forerunner, John, and the infinite son of God, Jesus. They are precious to God. And the next time you are bombarded by some kind of so-called scientific discussion that an unborn Child is not a human being and precious to God. Do yourself a great favor and read this chapter. Amen. Read this chapter. And my dear friend, may I humbly but boldly say to you, before you close the curtain and you pull the switch for someone who wants to empower the Killing of the unborn. You read this passage. There is not a place in the world for anybody who knows God and knows Christ to anyway understand this passage than to say life of the unborn is God's life. It's sacred and precious and is to be defended. Oh, dear friend, please. This is not a political question. Our God is infinitely higher than any political discussion. He is, he is the eternal one who decides what is right and wrong. And woe be to us. Woe be to us. As Jesus said and the prophet said, who help promote wickedness. And if anything is wicked, the taking of unborn lives is wicked. Can it be forgiven? Praise God. Yes. Yes. But don't ever, by God's grace, participate in the advancement of this terrible sin. Unborn children are living souls who are precious to God. My dear friend, can I just say this to you as your pastor? And I know I haven't pastored all of you 33 years, but I've been here 33 years. But I want to say something to you. If you think that at the end of this message, I just got political. I have not just gotten political. What I have just said is as part of the word of God and the truth as anything. It is not political. It is not political. To declare that the unborn are precious to the Lord. Amen. And to protect them. Amen. And if you believe that's political, friend, you need to talk to the Lord. You don't need to have a talk with me. It's way above my pay grade. 
You talk to him. And number four, God's grace is amazing. Is this passage amazing? I don't understand a tiny portion of what I've preached to you this morning. And you're saying probably that's nothing new. We hear that all the time. I don't understand that. But I do know this. God's grace is amazing and it's all sufficient. Wherever you are today, you're not beyond the power of the grace of God. Your sin is not greater than the grace of God. Where sin has superabounded, God's, gra God's grace superabounds where sin is abounded. Christ died and rose again for the forgiveness of sins. And his mercy is to all who will call upon him. Don't limit the grace of God. And for those people you're praying for, don't you give up on the grace of God. Don't you give up on the grace of God. God is able to save those who in our hearts we can't even imagine. But He can do it. Why? Because He's a God of all grace. He's kind and good. And His mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. Amen? Amen. And let's be joyful about that, right? Let's be joyful. Lord, I pray now, as we sing to you, as we're about to go, we sing with joy to you. Help us to sing with joy. And Lord, if joy is not in our hearts, reveal to us why that joy is not there as we sing of Jesus. Not about our circumstances, but about our joy. We're not happy this morning in some things in our life. But Lord, help us to examine our joy because joy is about Jesus. Oh Lord, I pray that people here today would know the joy of your salvation. Lord, restore the joy of salvation to people who are far from it. May today they find their joy in Christ, your spirit. Let them know the joy that is in Jesus. Let people know the joy of decreasing and seeing Jesus increase. Oh Lord, I pray that you will do this because you're a God of all grace and you bless the unworthy and we are all there. You came to seek sinners. Seek us today, Lord, where we are and do a great work of salvation in our hearts. In Jesus' name.